Hello, and welcome to the St. Louis Bullpen Show. My name is John Fleming from St. Louis Bullpen, joined by Alex Turpin from St. Louis Bullpen. Alex, how are you doing? I am great. I just realized I called you Alex instead of Turp. This is weird. I'm going to stop doing that. It was, it was jarring. Yeah, I don't know who this Alex is. Yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, we'll move I had a I had a client refer to me as Al the other day. I kind of <laughs> liked it, actually. I've never heard you referred to as Al before. Is is that like a thing? <clears throat> no, it's very very rare. I don't know why this guy would call me Al, and I have a couple of cousin in laws who call me Al, and that's pretty much it. Um, maybe like once I get like old, maybe I can be Al. Because I mean, Alex I, is not like a Alex is like a young guy's name. Yeah, I think so. I, I would agree with that. Um, it's not like an old person name, and I don't I don't ever want to go with like the full. Name just because it's like too many syllables and it's hard to say. I feel like if you're going to go with Al, you should have specifically instructed somebody about it. Like Paul Simon even wrote a song saying, You can call me Al. Like it's not, Oh, I'm just going to allow people to call me Al willy nilly. That's that's ludicrous. Yeah, that would be the other problem. Like it would have to be like a whole change. Like I'd have to make an announcement of some sort. And that, that, I mean, that seems like a hassle. And then if you do the announcement, nobody's going to, nobody's going to follow it, like just to spite you. So. I don't know. I may just I may just be doomed. That may be the case. You may have to just kind of work around that. But uh, now, are are you a Jonathan? I've never asked that before. No, I'm I'm just John. <laughs> just John. Yeah, t- that's t- that's the way to go. I think. Yeah, well, most people that are J O H N are just Johns. Like hmm. Jonathan would be a J O N. There's some exceptions to that, but for the most part, that's a a decent rule to follow. Uh, I see. Well, we're we're both learning things about each other. Yes, yeah, is a, start it's a lot of insight. We need to talk about baseball. We can just yeah. learn about our our names. I mean, it has been that uh, kind of week in baseball. There's really not a that kind of two weeks in that's... baseball. Actually, we haven't re- we didn't record last week either. And, and that's right. Lots happened during those two weeks. At least as far as it pertains to the Cardinals. Um, one thing that does sort of pertain to the Cardinals, I thought like we should mention, is uh, Larry Walker got elected to the Hall of Fame a couple weeks ago. Congrats to Larry Walker, and congrats to uh all canadians everywhere yes and uh during our hall of fame show that we had last uh episode we both said we would have put larry walker in the hall of fame he didn't get in by much but he did get in that's really all that matters uh derek Jeter mm. got in with all but one vote which is just objectively very funny oh it's it's yeah whoever did that is a hero <laughs> but um, the, per- the person doesn't come forward which makes me think that it probably wasn't like a trying to knock him down a peg thing. It was probably more of a, I think there's 10 legitimate Hall of Famers that aren't Derek Jeter, and I know he's getting in, so I'm going to you know, vote yeah. economically here. Which I respect. Yeah, I, I feel like if the person was doing it to be a troll, they would have come out and said it already, which they haven't. So yeah. Now, I, there, there was a little bit of a scare, because in, in like the 24 hours leading up to the announcement, I guess some people do like, um, they have like projection models for who's going to make. Yeah, the ballot tracker. Um, yeah, the ballot tracker, and it looked like at one point there was a projection release that Larry Walker was going to miss it by like one or two votes. Yeah, Larry Walker even tweeted out earlier in the day of the Hall of Fame announcement that he thought he was going to come just a little bit short, but thanking people for their support, and turns out he was just a little bit the other direction, which I'm pretty content with. He was a, he was a great player and certainly worthy of being in Cooperstown, as is uh, Derek Jeter. If you look at their careers, they actually had pretty similar numbers. It's not as though, like, Larry Walker made the joke that he was, like, the B-side in this, but, like, mm-hmm. pretty comparable players. But <laughs> mm-hmm. arguably, arguably, dare I say, more important than uh, 
Larry Walker getting into the Hall of Fame, though, is uh, Brad Penny got a vote. Good for Brad. And uh, another former Cardinal, however, uh, Rafael Fercal, uh got zero votes. Womp womp. So um, I actually did not warn you ahead of time on this, but I actually have a, a trivia question for you. Go for it. Okay. So in uh, so obviously I mentioned Rafael Fercal was uh, completely shut out of Hall of Fame voting. Mm-hmm. In the 2010s, so from, 20, from the 2010 to the 2019 class of the Hall of Fame, there were 16 players who were former Cardinals who got a Hall of Fame ballot and got zero votes. This group does not include Carlos Baerga, who you may remember was in spring training with the Cardinals, but never actually played a game with the Cardinals. So 16 players who played at least one game with the Cardinals last decade made it to the Hall of Fame ballot and got zero votes. I do not expect you to get all 16. However, I, I am curious what kind of damage you can do here. Oh, man. I I don't I, even know where to begin. I feel like this is, um, like, this is upper end remembering some guys because what we you don't want to just remember like, oh, I remember Barry Bonds or something. But you also don't want to remember guys who were like completely worthless. You remember guys who were like pretty good for a while. And that's what these guys um, Like what what era did most of them play in? Well, so if you – so all of the guys who were one and dones almost by necessity had to have been the first ballot. So right. So if you – we're on the 2010 ballot. It means you would have had to retire after the 2004 season. I see. Now, not all of these players retired as Cardinals, though, though some of them did. I will say that I remember <clears throat> one of these players maybe as being on the Cardinals. So it's not as though these are guys who were on the Cardinals in the 80s and then had 20-year career somewhere else. Yeah. Wow. Um I'm just going to start throwing some darts. Uh, yeah. Edgar Renteria. Edgar Renteria is not one of them. I believe he might have gotten a vote. Let me look that up because that, that sure seems like a decent guess. Actually, he might not be. Would he be eligible? I, I'm sure he'd be eligible by now. Renteria? Yeah, I, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah surely. Because he, he retired at 2011. So let, let's see how he did in the Hall of Fame ballot. I feel like he might have gotten a vote. Let's see. You can uh, throw out some other names while looking this up. Um, Ray Lankford? Ray Lankford is one of them. Yeah. I have to say, while Ray Lankford's not a Hall of Famer, he seems like he should have, like, gotten a vote. Like, he's more of a Hall of Famer than Brad Penny. Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I had a feeling he might be one of them. That, that is kind of a bummer. It's Everyone loves of, Ray Lankford. It sort of reflects, like, Ray Lankford just being constantly overlooked. Okay, and uh, I did look it up. Uh, Renteria on the 2017 Hall of Fame ballot got 0.5% of the vote. He actually got two votes for the Hall of Fame, same as Jason Veritek that year. Oh, wow. Good for him. Um, uh, Willie McGee? Uh, Willie McGee is not on there. He would have been a little bit earlier than that, though we did get some Hall of Fame votes. Yeah, okay. I actually looked this up uh, earlier today. He actually got exactly 5% his first year, so he stayed on for a second year, but then dropped down to like three uh, Fernando Tatis. Uh, another good guess, but uh, he is not. Oh boy. Um, Placido Polanco. Placido Polanco is not. You mean hmm. now list off the names or? Huh? You mean to start listing off the names or do you want to just? Yeah, I do. Just yeah, go ahead. Okay. 
So the 15 remaining players, we have Todd Zeal. Good one. Tony Womack. Mm. Ian Jordan. Woody Williams. Now, I, well, uh, let me say, I'm, I think I was shooting a little over my mark because some of these names did pop into my head. Um, but my thought was like, I mean, surely they – I think it speaks to that it's easier to make the ballot than we assume because I would not have – expected some of those to even be on the ballot. Um, can I, that said, I would have expected Brian Jordan to get a vote. He was a, like a legitimately good player. Yeah. But one thing I noticed, cause I look back through a few of the hall of fame classes of the previous decade. It used to be a lot easier to get a vote. Like there'd be ballots of 35 names where all but like two people got a vote. And this wow. year, a solid half of the people got zero votes. Wow. Actually not quite, but, uh, a lot got zero. Was Bernard Gilkey on there? He was not. I think he would have retired too early to have missed this level. So we had, uh, I said, Woody Williams, Reggie Sanders. Oh, I love Reggie Sanders. Royce Clayton. Uh, Mike, Tim, Mike Timlin. Mike Timlin was on the Hall of Fame ballot? This next team is even crazier. Randy Wynn was on the Hall of Fame ballot. I could see that. He was around for a long time. He, he was around a while, yeah. Uh, Mark Ruzalonic. Really? Yep. Uh, Troy Gloss. Okay. J.D. Drew. Troy Gloss was sneakily very good there for a little bit. He, he had a couple of good seasons in there, and then he had a lot of seasons last. Where yeah. he was, like, hurt. Also looks extremely similar to our friend Ebo. Yes, that's that's absolutely correct. Uh, I think I said J.D. Drew, but mm-hmm. found there. Uh, Arthur Rhodes is a mm-hmm. brief cardinal. Uh-huh. Jason Isringhausen, who's a, a Cardinals Hall of Famer. I'm surprised he didn't get any votes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess being a reliever, it's tough, but. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit dubious that he got in the Cardinals Hall of Fame, but, you know, to, to each the fan's own, I guess. Oh. Uh, Darren Oliver. Mm-hmm. And uh, last but not least, Rick Ankiel. Oh, Rick Ankiel. Yeah, I. Yeah, I guess. I guess I. I don't know. I. I I guess I forget how long ago it was that he actually retired. Yeah, Ankiel actually probably was a little bit borderline as far as getting on the ballot. Because I think he played in parts of 10 seasons, which includes, like, getting called up in 1999 and barely playing, mm-hmm. pitching a little bit in 2004 and washing out right away, and then 2007 coming up in August. Right. Those still count as parts of seasons, and you have to be 10 seasons to see on the ballot. So all of those guys made the Hall of Fame ballot, while Javier Vasquez did not. Go figure. Oh, boy. Very interesting uh, thing there, but whatever. Vasquez wasn't going to make the Hall of Fame anyway. Right. So anyway, though, uh, as far as current-day Cardinals action, not a lot has happened as far as free agency concerned, though two of the very few decent free agents remaining uh, have since signed, uh, notably Marcelo Zuna. Uh, I guess he's considered an old friend now that he's now in the Cardinals, right? Yeah, a little yeah. bit surprising what he wound up taking. He took, I mean, pretty high uh, AV, but um, uh, only a one-year contract with the Braves. Yeah, one year, $18 million, so like ever so slightly more than the qualifying offer that he had declined. So, I mean, I guess by definition, he improved upon it, but still not the long-term deal he was almost certainly looking for. I mean, do you think he's just betting on himself? Um, maybe to to do like what a Josh Donaldson did this year with the Braves, where like Josh Donaldson probably in last off season arguably could have gotten like an okay 
like a multi-year contract, but he's he's hoping to have like a very good year on a competitive team and just get a, an even better contract. Yeah, I think this would probably even be closer to what Mike Stock is <laughs> season where like yeah. Because Donaldson signed for one year, but he signed for $23 million for for the year, which was certainly more than he was going to get per year at that point. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Moustakis, not Moustakis, Ozuna signed for seemingly, like, I would have thought he could have gotten $18 million per year for, like, three or four years. But maybe yeah. thinking that if he goes and rakes for the Braves next year, he'll be able to jumpstart his value a little bit. Yeah, and it's an interesting bet. I haven't gone and looked at what the that free agent outfield class next season is going to be like, but it's sort of an interesting gamble with how weak this outfield class is, um, with him being kind of the, the gem of the class. Yeah, well, I mean, Mookie Betts is in the class next year, so like, there's a, cl- a number one that's going to be clearly ahead of Azuna unless sure goes on some like unfathomable run, but. Yeah, it seems unlikely. I, I do wonder what it would have to take. I'm not even sure it's possible, but I do wonder what it would have to take for him to get. Would he have to like? He would have to like bat 400 and hit 50 home runs, something like that. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and it, like, and he, he, would, he would have to do it in a way that looked like it wasn't just like a like a blip. Yeah, like he couldn't merely be like the MVP because Mookie Betts <clears throat> played to an MVP caliber season in all likelihood. He right. had to basically do like prime bonds kind of season. Yeah. And probably also share some sort of defensive rehabilitation. Yeah. But regardless, uh, Ozuna is no longer on the Cardinals, which is, you know, arguably a little bit unfortunate given the general lack of outfield depth on the Cardinals. But yeah. it's also. I think probably fair to say that if all of the Cardinals play, all of the Cardinals outfielders are able to play up to what they've been hyped to their capacity of, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have much need for Ozuna. This isn't like it's you know a Mookie Bet situation where you have a guy who's clearly going to be better than the other guys in your corner. He's just arguably a safer pick than yeah. Tyler O'Neill would be. Yeah, and that's just we you know we've we've addressed this a few times. It's sort of the weirdness of the Cardinals outfield situation right now. I mean they they have multiple guys that could be something, um, but like it seems like all of them could also be nothing. It's it's just hard to parse, um, which is why ideally they would add like a you know like a, a sure thing to the outfield group, but there just there just isn't one out there right now. Um, the only thing they could do arguably is like trade for Mookie Betts. Um, but that's a lot easier said than done. Um, if they're even interested in doing so. Yeah. In general, I'm at a point with the Cardinals where I'm not super excited about trading for guys in the Mm -hmm. season in lieu of signing free agents because you sign up for it. You don't have to give up things for it. Right. But in in the case of the outfield, there just weren't any outfielders out there that were close to the level of, um, Betts. Yeah, it's Marcelo Zuna was the best outfielder out there. Um, maybe um, I was gonna say, given the the other contract that was signed, that's well, yeah, might not have been the market belief. And, and that's what I was leading into. Um, the other bit of uh, free agent outfield news uh, uh, was Nick Castellanos uh, signing with the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, uh, this was actually this is actually a fascinating story to me, the, the signing of uh, Castellanos, because he's getting essentially, 
it's 64 million over the next four years guaranteed. However, it also comes with multiple player opt outs. He can opt out after yeah. the first year of the contract, which you might remember Yoannis Cespedes with the Mets kind of contract similar to that. Being mm-hmm. out after year one, and he can opt out after year two. And I mean, th- those opt outs are just golden because if he exceeds the contract next year, then he can just go get paid more either with the Reds or with someone else. And if he doesn't, and if he plays poorly, the Reds are on the hook for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a very unusual contract. I mean, I mean, Nick Castellanos is sort of an, I, I don't know anything about him personally. So when I say unusual guy, I mean, just kind of an unusual guy as a player. So I, I had no idea what kind of contract Nick Castellanos was going to sign. Um, and the Reds, I don't know. The, the Reds have this weird aggressiveness. Um, I mean, it seems like they, they, I mean, to their credit, they're probably the only team in the NL Central right now that is like um, trying. Yes, that seems to be like actively trying to add to their roster from the outside. Um, and yet it's always like unusual stuff like this. Like they signed Mike Moustakis without him having a, like an obvious. Um, like an obvious fit. So I, I don't know the, the whole, it's weird. Um, I had posited Nick Castellanos, um, as a possible, uh, like short term option for the Cardinals, depending on what they could get him for. Um, if they could, could have gotten him on like a, like just a straight up short term contract, maybe that's a guy you want in the mix. And I, I said that in response to, um, our friend Gabe and then, uh, some other people, uh, I think uh, also our friend Drew Silva suggesting as much that the Cardinals should really go after Yasiel Puig. Um, I posit I, I would have, you know, all all other things equal, maybe preferred Castellanos because I'm not fully convinced at how good Yasiel Puig is anymore. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know what exactly to make of that. I mean, the Reds are kind of just they're just such a weird situation. Is is uh, I mean, Trevor Bowers he still plays for them, correct? Yeah, I think that the Reds, if you had to like speak to their overall philosophy that they seem to be enacting, is they've stopped caring about defense. Like they gave away Billy Hamilton for very little a year mm-hmm. ago. They are moving towards Nick Castellanos, who has been a, a very bad defensive outfielder, though his metrics have improved a little bit, and he really never had a lot of background playing in the outfield. So you can maybe talk yourself into that. But that's also what the Cardinals did with Dexter Fowler and. That doesn't work out great. And then, as you mentioned, Mike Moustakis is gonna, was signed to play second base, which seems like a really risky move. But I guess at this point, the Reds are just selling out for offense, which we'll see how that works out. But they've certainly added a lot of overall talent. And, I mean, I don't know how much. I think Castellanos is probably a better bet than Yasiel Puig right now which was a player who was on the Reds for the bulk of last season. So, you know, how much of an actual upgrade there was is kind of hard to say. But, I mean, the Reds are moving in the right direction, and the Cubs, like, the Cubs are not actually, they haven't lost a lot of players from last season, but at the same time, you know, there's just constant rumors, and there seems to be very little throughout the Cubs actually adding anybody of particular substance. They uh, they signed, who was it that they signed? The other day, the, the Cubs. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on who it was. Also. I'm also drawing a blank. Um, let's see, maybe I can. 
Well, I, I was – oh, Steven Souza. That's Steven yeah, Souza Steve Jr. Jason. They also signed Jeremy Jeffries. Yeah, which I, I think that's just sort of a reclamation just – you know, yeah, that's that's fine. You which, know. I th- which I think is a fine move, but it's not something that yeah. you're expecting to necessarily be at the forefront of your bullpen next year or anything like that. Yeah, very. Yeah, the Cubs. I, I was. I would say the Reds, um, to their credit, are the most interesting team in the NL Central right now. Um, you know, the the Cardinals and the Brewers both seem good, but not in a super interesting way. Um, the Cubs are kind of interesting unintentionally so just because they're in such a precarious situation. Um, and uh, I don't know if you had any more thoughts on the free agency, but that will um, that will tie into uh, one of the other things we we're going to discuss about the Cubs being in a precarious situation. Yeah, the one thing that's a letdown for me with the, uh, the Cardinals free agency so far is I'm not somebody that believes that the Cardinals – necessarily had to get like aggressively better during the off season because this is yeah. that made that won the division they made the NLC <coughs> yeah and while I don't think you need to rest on your laurels but I do think it's fair to say that they don't have to just you know sell out everything to you know make the team respectable because the team already was respectable and I, you know there is a window for the team to get better next year even without adding but like they lost Marcelo Zuna who was, you know, not necessarily like the superstar they might have hoped they were getting whenever they acquired him, but was still like a solid contributor to the, the middle of the order. And to this point, he's being replaced by functionally nobody. Right. And there really, like, there really is no place on the infield where you'd be able to improve based on the players that were left on the free agent market after like Josh Donaldson signed. But the outfield, you did have guys where you can improve with either Ozuna or Castellanos. Even if they're not really improvements, you can at least say we're staying level. And the only guy left on the market, I think, that would even be close to that would be Puig, though I agree with you that I don't think Puig is necessarily... He's not what he was a few years ago. I I think it would be worth at least talking to him, seeing about bringing him into the organization you hear these very like nebulous oh he doesn't seem like a cardinal kind of things which seems um it seems like let's put it this way whenever somebody whenever there's talk about this guy doesn't seem like he'd be good for the cardinals it's never a white player so it's a Mm -hmm. bit concerning like i kind of want to know what it's like why doesn't he seem like a cardinal like he seems like he you know is very well liked by his teammates it seems like he's you know generally fairly productive he had some you know, issues early on in his Dodgers tenure where his work ethic was being questioned, but that seems to have completely gone away over the last few years, even if his production is what it was in the early going. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm just like, is this the team the Cardinals are going to go into the season with? Because I think this is a roster that could compete. I think they'll still compete for the NL Central, but it seems like there were just so many little things they could have done along the way that would have really allowed them to separate themselves with you know, one of the big division threats of last year getting actively worse than the Brewers and one of the division threats in the Cubs really starting to go that direction as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, the Cardinals, their their outfield situation kind of betrays this, but they are, what they have going for them is that they're a decently high floor team. Um But, but you are correct, though. They, they shouldn't rest on their laurels on that. I mean, there were ways they could have, 
you know, they didn't have to be they didn't have to be overly aggressive to have a good team. They already have that, but it, it is we do we are kind of in this mode where we're not really expecting them um to be like aggressive and free agency uh because what reason do we really have to be um and that is frustrating um did you have did you see slash did you have any i I'm, i know you saw it did you have any thoughts on the uh um the cardinals uh, zips projections for 2020 that came out recently uh not really i mean there were maybe a few things where i would be willing to take the over or take the under but there wasn't anything that stood out to me as being completely absurd on it I, I do think it's funny looking at the projections and seeing just how strong the infield looks like after all of this after yeah all, not to go back to nolan aaron our discourse because nothing really seems to have happened in the last couple of weeks worth discussing there but like the infield's not the problem that's the unit i feel comfortable with on this team there were so many options to try to improve in the rotation or try to improve in the outfield and the cardinals entire fix in that regard is a guy that's never pitched in the major leagues. Yeah, there there's yeah, the lack of aggressiveness with respect to starting pitching is really the frustrating one to me because the outfield, you know, as we've said, I, I don't you know, there would be no excuse if they didn't try. It, it was a lot harder with the outfield just given what's out there. There were a lot of starting pitchers. I, yeah. I remember back to our free agency preview how many potential starters there were on the market and not even just back of the rotation guys, although they were available, but like mid rotation pitchers, they could have added. Um, there were a lot of like number two, number three type starters yeah. out there. Like even once you get past Cole and Strasburg, there was a lot of like Zach Wheeler, Madison Bumgarner type guys. And right. those don't seem maybe Bumgarner a little bit, but there was not really a lot of definitive proof. They were that seriously in on any of them. You just heard rumblings about Bumgarner and a little bit about Ryu. Um, that one seemed even more speculative than Bumgarner. Um, but, it, you know, you do wonder, you know, what's it going to take at this point? Um, are they going to have to become legitimately bad in order for, you know, in order for the team to feel compelled to get aggressive on the free agent market? And even then, are they going to do that or are they just going to um, – are are they going to do that or are they just going to going to you know tear things down rebuild try and have a prospect based team i mean you do wonder cuz this seems like this is the the perfect situation for a team to be if you want to you know be aggressive in the free agency market to make a push cuz the team right now is solid it just needs a little bit extra um or rather it would be useful to have a little bit extra if you want to be competitive in the nl um and yet it's, it's still not enough. So you do just wonder what what the, the point is where they're actually going to feel compelled, uh, you know, to try and improve the team in that way or if it's ever going to happen. Yeah, and I suppose you could say that, like, the big free agent signing for the Cardinals functionally was Goldschmidt because yeah, signed an extension before the season that right. would have been a free agent going into this. But yeah. you know, at this point, that's still like a lateral move from what you had last season, just right. definition. And yeah, it's, I'm just not sure what to make of this team or its chances. And 
again, the, the problem isn't that they aren't going to be competitive because they are. The problem is there were so many opportunities to yeah. but without taking on massive risk. Like, I'm not yeah. saying that it's like I've been somebody that's been very conservative when it comes to the whole like trading for Nolan Arenado thing. I don't want them to go crazy, but there were guys available in, in free agency who like it's hard to argue that these guys wouldn't have improved the team at least a little bit. And they've been completely gun shy in making offers for them. And, you know, granted, a lot of the players, you know, signed for quite a bit more than I would have expected in free agency. But, you know, a guy like a, like a Tanner Roark or somebody was, yeah. you know, out there. And, like, obviously, Tanner Roark isn't going to be the thing that's going to turn a bad team into a good team. But it can be the thing that turns a team that made the NLCS next year or last year into a team that can continue to compete for that level of performance. Sure. Here. Yes, it's not like this is a team where you look at them and you say <clears throat> it's impossible for them, you know, to go play in or win the World Series. Um, but given where some of the other competing teams are, you want to give yourself a little bit of an extra edge. And for whatever reason, they're just, you know, when the opportunities present themselves, they're just not going for it. It's it's strange. It's strange. Um you know, you don't – I mean there's plenty of cynical reasons you can come up with it with for it. Um, and also I don't know what exactly there is to be to be done about it. Um, you know, is, is it really just – is it just a matter of misguided philosophy? Um, does it really come down to the ownership of the team? Um, doesn't want to give up a little bit more of their money? I really don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, it's uh... – I'm just going to keep repeating myself here, but it does seem like, you know, especially with what's going on with the Cubs, and we'll talk about Chris Bryant in a second, but mm -hmm. the, the Cubs, for whatever reason, are taking this huge step back. And there's this, like, it's, it's become like a national story, the fact that the Cubs aren't spending. And for some reason, the Cardinals aren't getting, I think, the same level of scrutiny. Certainly among Cardinals fans, they are, but just like on a, like on a national scale. But the Cardinals have been really inactive. Like, the Cardinals haven't acquired, I don't think, a single player, a single new player in the offseason who played in the majors last year, have they? Or I guess uh, Austin Dean would be. Yes, and like, that's like, like a technically, yeah. Yeah, technically Austin Dean. Yeah, who's not expected to be on the big league roster, I don't think. But And if he is, he's just going to be, you know, purely a bench player. Yeah. So, yeah, other than that, we're super excited, but... I mean, on the bright side, on the bright side, though, the Cardinals aren't trying to uh, suddenly get rid of their former MVP and World Series hero for peanuts because yeah. they've alienated him so badly. So the Cardinals have yeah. advantage on the Cubs, which is nice. Yeah, and, and to your point about why <clears throat> the Cubs are getting more scrutiny for this nationally than the Cardinals, it's just more stark with the Cubs because of where they were. I mean, they won the World Series more recently for one thing, but it was being projected they were going to have this dynasty. I mean, we've we've touched a few times on sort of the the rapid window closing of the Cubs that people didn't expect, but um, that only makes it more stark that, you know, it's a team that people were thinking was going to be a dynasty potentially, um, and now that's all falling apart, um, and that could be, I'm not going to go so far as to say solved, but um, some of the bleeding could be stopped by, just paying their guys and also just what we're getting into uh, the Chris Bryant story, just the absolute silliness of this whole thing. It's so silly. Um, like, like the Ricketts family 
has so much money um, and, you know, to go to this length to keep a guy who played, in essence, an entire season for you from getting paid for that one season. Um, it's very strange. You just got to step back and really look at what exactly it is and wonder why. But um, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. So for, for people who somehow aren't familiar, uh, can you recap? what exactly this Chris Bryant story is. Okay. So I guess we'll start to before the 2015 season. So Chris Bryant was, I can't remember, I think he was the number two prospect in baseball, technically entering the season, but it was like consensus major, major prospect for the Cubs. Mm-hmm. He'd been the number two overall pick kind of mm-hmm. much at third base, but out of the university of San Diego, where uh, my great uncle Ed uh, taught music for a long time. Huh. I, I didn't. I, I knew that you had a, an uncle who lived in San Diego. Has has come up many times on the podcast. I was not yeah. sure that he was a. Sure, that's interesting. Okay, so it depends who you ask on the uh, on the topic. If you ask the Cubs, they would say that they really were excited about Mike Olt being their third baseman. And yeah, so it just so happened that Mike Olt got hurt right as it came around the point in the season where Chris Bryant being called up would allow them to retain another year of his uh, arbitration years. Funny, that timing. Yeah, if you ask pretty much anyone other than the Cubs, that's an insane lie, and they held him down as long as they possibly could, and they did some no. things for uh, for Addison Russell, though that one didn't work out as well for them for different reasons. But, well, yeah, as far as... Yikes. As, as far as Brian, though, he had filed a grievance pretty much immediately with the Cubs arguing that the Cubs had been intentionally trying to keep him from reaching free agency. And it's weird that it took years for the announcement to actually come, but it was ruled that I'm not sure what the exact wording was, but regardless, Chris Bryan did not win the grievance. So therefore he'll be, uh, he'll be in his third year of arbitration in for 2020, which I believe there's already been a figure agreed to with that. But, then in 2021, he'll have another year of arbitration, and then he'll be a free agency. And based off of all of the bad blood, seems like unless the Cubs really blow him away with an offer, he's probably going to hit the road and go somewhere else. Yeah, and that's the other part of it. You know, over – I mean, it's it's ridiculous anyway uh, when you put into perspective how much money uh, the Cubs uh, – the Cubs franchise brings in versus how much Chris Bryant played for them that season versus what money they're refusing to give him. Um, the, the flip side of that is that you're now basically guaranteeing that he is not going to want to play for you anymore. Um, yeah, it'll be funny, you know, assuming he doesn't get traded to just see what kind of effort he puts forth in in 2020, I mean, the kind of the unfortunate thing is with his impending free agency, he also doesn't want to alienate, you know, other teams that will want to give him a lot of money. Um, but I can't imagine he's going to be happy with his situation. I mean, Nolan Arenado is kind of going through the same thing. He seems very unhappy um, with the fact that he, you know, has to, you know, everything he hears all day, every day is about uh, whether the Rockies are going to trade him or not. Yeah, I, uh, I have a lot less sympathy for Aaron Adams. Yes, absolutely. Like, he signed up like he signed up for that. That was his decision. He yes. Out to reach free agency and he decided against it because he wanted to right. lock in his contract. Chris Bryant, like he couldn't. Chris have, Bryant's getting screwed. You know? Yeah. 
and it's sort of that's just the system and it's unfortunate and i think that the the players union needs to discuss whenever the next round of collective bargaining happens how to stop this but unfortunately the players union is controlled by players that have already hit free agency so that yeah they don't seem to care that much about the minor leaguers yeah I, I don't know if we've caught the if we've covered this very much or not um it's sort of a thing that that unfortunately gets a little lost in the in a lot of the discussions about baseball and labor um that part of the problem is and is always going to be um that you know what what the power behind the the players union really is is obviously you know those of us who are pro labor and baseball are always going to root for the players union um and we'll we'll root for them to to you know, in, to fortify and increase their own rights, but at the same time, they seem very willing to throw young players, particularly yeah. minor leaguers, under the bus. I mean, a, a big test is going to be. I think the the qualifying offer system is definitely going to be something on the table um, this next time around, and rightfully so. Um, but are they going to do anything about minor league pay? Are they going to do anything about this? Are they going to do anything about the arbitration system, which ensures that a lot of young players who contribute a lot um don't get paid as much as they're actually worth um that's that's yet to be seen i don't know how exactly they force that issue with mostly like with mostly like veteran players and i mean there's no reason why it should be that way i mean everyone went through the whole process there should be solidarity and yet i I think what's got to be most stark is some of the some of the very strange contracts that that young players are signing um just to just to get themselves out of the arbitration system, signing like low value contracts. Um, I think was Ozzy Albies did this. Yeah, I mean Albies is like the most agreed. That's the that's the There was someone else I feel like this off season who did that too, but I can't remember who it was. The White Sox had a few guys like that. They did that with uh, Luis Robert and uh, who was the other one? Um, Mancada maybe. They, they they kept extending guys who. Uh, who hadn't played in the majors mm-hmm. and it's entirely possible that if Dylan Carlson wants to make the big league roster, you have to do the same thing, which, uh, that's yeah. And I was going to bring this up. I, I figured you probably would too. Um, you know, it's easy for us to come on here and, and say how much the, how shittily the Cubs are about this. Um, but are the Cardinals going to do something similar with Dylan Carlson this year? I think they absolutely are. Uh, there's, I have no doubt in my mind that there's no reason. There's no reason to think uh, not to think that they will. Um, I, I've heard a lot of Cardinals fans like have this denial about it and say that the Cardinals haven't done it in the past, which is true. But they really haven't been in a situation where that's right. It would it would benefit them to do it. Yeah, they. Ha- it seems like they haven't had. When was the last time they had? Not only an elite prospect, but an elite an elite prospect who is like considered ready to go at season's start. Because uh, I Tavares would have been Tavares, but I don't even know if it was universally agreed upon that he was ready to go. He didn't get called up until what June? It was May, but yeah. that was May. That would have been the only one where arguably they did it. Um, yeah. That one seemed well. Tavares well, so definitely wasn't as transparent as yeah. Chris Brown. Yeah, if they did, they at least waited around a little more, and I. I don't remember what exactly the impetus was or if there was one for when they eventually did call Tavares up. I thought there was something, but I could be wrong about that. I believe, um, it, was, I believe it was an injury. It was either to Alan Craig or to Matt Adams. Yeah, because they, they had 
they had outfielders, you know, already that could play. They had corner outfielders. Um, yeah, it wasn't. I mean, it, it's totally possible that that was part of the part of the decision making. I mean, there's no reason to just assume that it it never would be. Um, but no, it was not as absolutely blatantly obvious as as when the Cubs did it. That's probably the most blatantly obvious example there's been. Um, yeah, it'll be. It's not going to matter as to whether they do it or not what Carlson's performance is like in spring training, but man, they're going to catch a lot more heat for it. Um, and of course, the follow up to that is like catch a lot of heat for it, but to what end? But they yeah. are going to, they will catch a lot of heat for it if Carlson looks fantastic in spring training and gets called up in like late April um, when like one of the outfield starters isn't performing well. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't want to get mad at the Cardinals for doing a thing they haven't actually done yet. I just think that I, I would expect that there's probably going to be some level, of, and it may not be as as simple as you know, wait until the clock hits and then that day call him up. I think it'd be more of a situation of let him get some playing time in Memphis because you can you can rationalize not starting him in the majors. He hasn't oh yeah play that much. Yeah, he's he's very young, and I mean, if he doesn't look. If he, if he doesn't look quite ready for major league pitching, um, like in spring training, if it looks like there's still more work to be done, then you can totally justify not having him start the season in the majors. Yeah. Um, that's not an issue. In fact, I, I even have my own doubts as to whether he's going to be ready to go just for those reasons. Um, but then if he gets called up in like late April, then, I mean, you kind of know what's going on. Yeah, and the problem, to the extent that you could even call it a problem, is going to be if he comes in a spring training and is just absolutely killing it. If he comes in spring training and is looking rusty, then you realize you know, maybe we're not going to trust this guy to be one of our top three outfielders. So even if he's good enough to play on the bench in the majors, we don't want him to not get you know, a full amount of ups. Right, yeah. If, if you're not going to be starting him, there's no point in having him in the majors for now. Um so yeah, and I kind of similarly uh, going back to to briefly when we touched on the zips um, in the actual uh, blog post that Dan Zimborski put up, um, he mentioned sort of an interesting conundrum. He thinks Andrew Kisner is like you know starter worthy good, and the Cardinals are going to face that you know that sort of issue if uh, Molina doesn't retire after this season. Um, Dylan Carlson will not face that same sort of question. I can't imagine if he's really tearing it up and is clearly ready to go. I can't imagine a scenario where they won't be able to just instantly insert him into the lineup. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like clubhouse dynamics, it would be a lot easier to do that. Cause you know, when it comes to potentially replacing Yachty or Molina with Andrew Kisner, there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of clubhouse pull to keeping Molina in there, whereas there's three right. field spots. And, you know, maybe there's sort of this idea of Dexter Fowler's a veteran. We don't want to displace him. But even if you account for that, there's still two other spots in the outfield that you could mm-hmm. find room for him. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. And like I said, I don't want to get too ahead of myself with castigating the Cardinals for doing a thing they haven't actually done yet. Yeah. But I, I'm with you that there's, there's no reason to think that they wouldn't do that. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, all these teams are kind of motivated by the same thing. Um, and as long as these systems are in place, they will be exploited. Yep. 
that's just kind of the way the world works and not condoning it, but it's it's not a thing that's unique to the Cardinals. So no, basically all I ask for the Cardinals is that they be like the same level of evil as other teams. Yeah. You know, one, one area where they have, and you know, and this is as far as we know, and to be fair, maybe they just haven't been tested. One area where they, they have been better than some other teams. We have not had to go through the issue of um, a player uh, turning out to be like a domestic abuser. Um, now, yeah. like you, you don't want to make those assumptions because it's like a, a widespread problem and sometimes it goes quiet, um, like for for reasons that, you know, you could probably guess. Um, but they've never traded for Araldus Chapman. So that's nice. That's true. They have never uh, traded for Roberto's, you know, no, no going on a, uh, a rant against media explaining how glad they were that they had traded for Roberto's. Yeah. So things they're, they're not the. They're definitely not the Cubs, but I'll say even the Cubs could say we're definitely not the Astros yeah, either. That's true. I yeah I, I don't yeah the the Astros have achieved a level of of uh, villainy that uh um when was the last time like we remember a, a, a one of the big four frames is like have they surpassed Patriots level of villainy at this point? I think the Patriots have more cumulative just because. Like the principal player, like the mm-hmm. in the quarterback, been around for twenty years. But right. I think that you know over the last couple of years that they've sort of they've taken the mantle and they've really yeah. they, they've closed <laughs> a lot of gap in a very short period of time. I wonder if this will help out a little bit with um, you know not to dig all this up with the sort of as we've talked about some of the undeserved crap that that the Cardinals organization gets from like a non Cardinals fandom. Um, I wonder if maybe now that there is like a clear one clear, like villain, um, if maybe some of the heat will get taken off us. I don't know. Everyone's turned on the Cubs too, which is, which is good to see. It's almost like the whole turning on teams thing correlates with how well the team is doing. Isn't that funny? Yeah. It, how that works? It's strange how those three years the Cardinals didn't make the playoffs. You didn't hear as much anti-Cardinal stuff. Yeah, and it was weird how a lot of it uh, popped back up like immediately uh, once they made a playoff run. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure the timing was just coincidental. Coincidence, yeah, you, you obviously can't look too much into that. Although the Cubs are on a weird sort of thing. What? I, it still blows my mind that, you know, I, I I was never one to say it's not like everyone had to hate the Cubs the way we hate the Cubs when they were, um, you know, when they first became prominent this time around and when they started making playoff runs again. Um, it was amazing to me that they were ever like a like a media darling among like or I don't even want to say media darling. But they were ever like a darling team among people who should know better. Um but with them, yeah, it, it's kind of been the opposite. I mean, people have kind of turned on them simultaneously with them starting to do worse. But uh, the the more obnoxious elements of uh, of Cubsdom sort of surfaced as uh, um, as they've been on this decline. Yeah, yeah, and I'll, and uh, yeah, we're we're in a place right now where. Uh, you are uh, dating a Packers fan, and I am dating a Cubs fan, so that's cool. It's it's rough. It, it's uh, a thing I try to avoid. Um, thing ever. Yeah, things haven't been bad. The 
the my last girlfriend was a like she didn't care about the Cubs, but she was a big time Blackhawks fan. That was rough. Yeah. Um, but that was a lot worse than than this is. Um, I didn't even know how to approach that. Like how to even like how to even have a conversation about it without like mentioning you, how how like racist their jerseys were. You, but, you just draw the line at Patrick Kane, and as long as she's willing to, you know, condemn him, you kind of yeah consider that a victory, and you move on. Yeah. My current girlfriend does not uh, seem to care about the Blackhawks at all, so I can talk freely and openly about how Patrick Kane belongs in prison. Yeah, I think you probably should have done that with the previous one. Actually, she didn't seem to disagree with me. She, she yeah. did agree, in fairness, that Patrick Kane was a bad guy. So I want to be I want to be fair to her about that. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a, a fair thing that most people can agree with. You know, their level of bringing it up might vary by uh, market to market, but the general mm-hmm. thing I think is pretty agreeable. Uh, speaking of things that are pretty pretty agreeable, let's talk about the least controversial topic in all of baseball, the DH. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot we were going to talk about the DH. We sort of, when we discussed before um, about talking about the DH, just because it's kind of been in, uh, it's sort of been a topic of conversation this week, we agreed that, like, this will this will be among the the worst DH segments on any baseball podcast because you and I both have very tepid takes on the DH and we seem right. to be only two of the only people in the world who do. Um, Dan, we I, I forgot we were going to approach our uh, our friend uh, Dan Moore about maybe jumping in because he has scalding takes about the DH. I don't know if they're even scalding. They're just like more pronounced, which a, a lot of people have very pronounced takes. He's very firm in his position. I'll put it yeah. that way. So the reason that we're bringing up the designated hitter is that there are increased rumors over the last week or so that the National League could be adopting the DH as soon as 2021, which now obviously not this year, but you know could be coming up in the near future. And uh, Terp, if you want to just spell out in you know 30 seconds or less just your general view on the DH, whether you like it, whether you hate it, just how you feel about it. I'll just kind of hit the bullet points. I really don't care that much. I'm able to watch both the AL and NL products. If you had to ask me whether I think they should make the change, I would say no, just because I think the, the the product as it is is fine enough um, that there's really no reason to make a change. I've said before that I don't like tinkering just to tinker. Um, <clears throat> if, there's, if it's not going to actually accomplish something, then what's the point? Um, obviously you and I don't care that much, but other people really seem to. So why, why even bother unless you can show what kind of an impact it would make. And, uh, which leads me to the next point. Next point is that kind of the talking point is like, how do you get like the younger generations more interested in baseball? I really don't think having a DH helps at all. Absolutely. It makes no difference. Um, and as quirky as it is, I kind I, I don't know. I sort of like there being that difference between the two leagues. It makes, it makes it, it makes interleague play more interesting. Um, I don't know, it just it just doesn't bother me. I, I'm fine watching AL baseball. I'm fine watching NL baseball the way it is. There's strategy involved in both. Um, I just don't see the need to make a change. You're gonna, you know, I don't care that much, but you are gonna alienate certain people. Um, so yeah, I, I don't. I just don't see why they bother. I really don't care that much. I'm not gonna stop watching if they do make the change. So um, yeah, that's where I stand on it. Yeah. The different rules for different leagues thing. I don't understand why anyone's that worried about it. 
Yeah. The thing is, both sides end up arguing that point just to their own favor, and it really, like, American League people are like, oh, well, we should have the same rules for both leagues, so adopt the DH, and then the National League people do the exact opposite. Like, yeah, we should have the same rules, so get rid of the DH. So if you look at, like, popular opinion about the designated hitter, it's, like, decidedly popular among American League fans and decidedly unpopular among National League fans. And for some reason, a relatively small number of people are willing to concede that maybe their opinions based more on their, like, identity and how they view themselves than, like, any objective stance on the rule itself. Yeah. And, like, the level of passion is just... I feel like both sides just kind of try to play up their own passion, hoping that that passion will allow their side to win out. You see a lot of people say that if the National League adopts the DH, they'll stop watching baseball. And it's like, so watching a pitch at, like, three times a game, like, between the two teams at this point, is the thing that's keeping you into baseball. And at the same time, so having that pitcher not bat three times is the thing that's going to suddenly make people way more excited about watching this. Yeah. Like, like, it's such a marginal difference. And, like... Aside from the fact that, obviously, games that are against the Cardinals' National League rivalries won't have the DH, like, if it comes to, like, watching a game on the road against the Rockies or a game on the road against the Mariners where there's, right. you know, really not really any sort of rivalry per se, but you have two different sets of rules, like, my preference towards watching one or the other is nothing. I don't yeah. care. It, it makes no difference to whether or not I'm going to watch the game or not. And you just <laughs> notice it. Yeah, Like, I watch all sorts of American League. Like, I obviously watch a lot more NL baseball than AL because of the Cardinals, but, like, during the playoffs, during the World Series, they alternate between having the DH and having no DH, and do you ever even really pick up on it? Yeah. I I just don't. Like, maybe I'm viewing the sport differently, but one thing that's always bothered me about the DH as constructed, and this is sort of a, a fringe take of mine, I'll admit, but... Like, someone on this topic needs to have some sort of take. The thing that I find strange is I think it's kind of arbitrary to draw the line that we're going to replace the pitcher with a DH. Because, like, obviously the pitcher's the weakest hitting position, but the idea oh, right. that, like, if you have a weak fielding shortstop or a weak fielding catcher, like, that guy's not going to be as bad offensively, probably, as a, a bad hitting pitcher. Mm-hmm. You can still find somebody on your team that's a better hitter. So if your pure goal is efficiency, then why not have, like, unlimited DHs? And if your pure, pure goal is, like, tradition and everyone does everything, you shouldn't have a DH at all. And it just seems like having one is kind of a, an awkward compromise. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the compromise doesn't bother me because it just it just doesn't take away from the game itself to me. Yeah. I just do not care that much. Yeah. Um, it's always weird when the conversation turns to is the whole thing misguided about um, how the conversation is about getting more young people to watch baseball. I I think that's stupid. How, how legitimate even is that concern? It seems like that just kind of gets used as, as a reason to do whatever, like you don't have to back up. Well, you actually think of the children. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to back up that it's uh, that it's even a real problem. Like those are kind of things that get taken for granted. Um, Like, I don't know, like like small things like the the pitch clock. Granted, the pitch clock like is something like we don't even really notice. Um, Yeah. 
But, you know, they, they did that. It wasn't a disaster. It didn't matter that much. But did that materially affect how many young people watch the game of baseball? No, I, can't, I cannot imagine that changed a single person's mind. That's just not how this works. I mean, the, the answers are more obvious if you do want if you do think it's a real concern, just find a find a way to market your star players better. Your like younger stars in particular, um, especially during playoff baseball. Playoff baseball is a really good product. I mean, kind of the knock against baseball from non-baseball watchers is that it's slow, it's boring. There's long stretches where nothing happens. But I mean, the take of that is in in playoff baseball that all adds to the tension. You know, get eyes on playoff baseball, get people interested in like the young stars of the game. And I mean, if if you really think that we need to draw more people in, then that's how you do it. Um, And yet it's tinkering with the rules. I don't I don't know that there's a single rule in baseball that you could tinker with that will that will have that effect that they want it to. Um, It's very misguided to me, all of it. Yeah, I've always thought that the baseball is slow and that's why younger people don't like it argument. I've always thought that that was kind of overblown because, like, you know what sport's very much not slow is hockey. You know what sport very much is slow is football. You know what sport's way, way, way more popular than the other one is football. Like, yeah, like the, the speed of the game just doesn't seem to necessarily have much of a correlation. Like, I'm okay with speeding the game up, but I don't think it's going to necessarily make a huge difference when it comes to the overall yeah. popularity of the sport. Yeah. And... Like, no, I, I will say with football, they are in the NFL in particular, they are probably going to have to reckon at some point with how much the constant like commercial breaks are, yeah. are hurting the product. But that's like a different thing. Um, that's that's like a, a totally separate issue to me. Um, but, yeah. But, pace of play is sort of this this straw man overall. I don't know how much it really matters. Yeah, I think that, like, one of the big things that makes, and this works with the NFL, this also works with the NBA, is these are leagues that market their stars a lot more than baseball. Like, how many just quarterbacks in the NFL are more famous than the most famous active baseball player? Like, most of them, I think, at this point. Yeah. But you know what the NFL does well is they market their stars very well. They do. And you know what else they do? They have almost all of their games on national TV. Yeah, that's that's another thing. Whereas in baseball, like there aren't even that many playoff games until the World Series that are on network TV at an era where fewer and fewer young people have cable. And you know what we're in danger of now is um, for some of the these services, Dish and Sling in particular, we're now in danger of not only the entire uh, St. Louis Blues season not being broadcast because of a dispute between uh, the cable companies and the broadcasting companies. We're in danger of the Cardinals season, at least part of it, going like not being broadcast as well. Yeah, I did finally switch my my uh, uh, my streaming service. I switched from Sling to YouTube TV, so I actually get the games again. Welcome aboard. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it, and it was nice. I, I they have a like a family plan on there, so I can just let my parents uh, watch the hockey games as well, which is good because as I've mentioned, they live out in the country and their internet's not good. So uh, finding uh, like you know, my mom was perfectly technologically capable of finding uh, like streams to watch on you know questionable sites, but the they would just lag too much. So. Um, 
but yeah, I, I mean, those are, these are just kind of all things that happen. I mean, it's very easy to say, you know, the NFL, there's so many fewer games in a season, but on a weekly basis during NFL season, they own an entire day of the week. Yeah. You know, baseball doesn't have that footprint. And to circle back to like the, the point with just the DH and the idea of it appealing to young people, like which do you think is going to have more of an impact on whether young people watch the game, the presence or absence of a designated hitter or the presence or absence of the game being on television? I can promise yeah. which one is has yeah. more of an impact, and I don't think I have to even say the answer. I think that's self-evident. And, and I mean, in fairness to the MLB, it did seem like they halfway noticed that um, maybe it would be beneficial to the sport if they found more uh, and more innovative ways for people to watch the game other than just turning, you know, tuning on, uh, on the TV in a traditional sense. Um, but yet their response to that supposedly trying to bring young people in was to stream games on Facebook to that thing, that thing that young people love to use and not like mostly just old people at this point. Yeah. I feel like the people that were watching the games on Facebook were mostly just, uh, like in between like sharing, yeah, various like scare tactic articles about how um, you know how your like local congressman voted to like outlaw churches or whatever, and like moving into just watching games. But yeah, it's nice breaking their QAnon memes to uh, yeah. watch some. I have to say, I actually like the YouTube broadcasts, like the ones they actually have on YouTube.com because YouTube broadcasts are fine, yeah, and yeah, and, and, and it makes like, it... yeah, young people use. YouTube. I'm pretty much everyone uses YouTube, but young yeah. people have a, a presence there. Yeah, it, it doesn't require, uh, you know, signed up for a service. You're able to watch yeah. the game for free. I, I think it would be nice if you were like able to simulcast it on cable for people that don't have internet. But I, I think that the internet's going to reach more people at this point than just having it on cable. So I almost wonder about and this. You know, I, I don't have a lot of faith in them to do this in a way that wouldn't come out just being corny as shit. I, I wondered about maybe uh, I know the NFL would do this with Thursday Night Football, um, maybe Twitch as a streaming possibility. Um, and you could also like if they wanted to have some sort of I don't know what exactly they would do, but some sort of interactive feature. I know the Facebook broadcast would attempt this. Um, and but those are just get very obstructive though the the Facebook ones like you just have like yeah, yeah rolling on you, the side and yeah um, Twitch that's pretty easily avoided but I, that's something I could look into potentially I watched um, uh, one or two of the Thursday night football games on Twitch um, and it was it was kind of nice yeah I'm admittedly not like knowledgeable on Twitch but like I'm, I'm certainly willing to defer to different methods of watching games yeah I was able to like expand the reach and. The problem with doing that is that MLB is going to try to come up with ways to appeal to the younger generation without actually coming up with a change that's going to cost them money. Yeah, that's that's sort of the, I, the underlying thing with all of this. Every once in a while, I'll see like a, a pro DH argument arguing that like DHs make a lot of money, which is true, but I haven't really seen a lot to substantiate that that money isn't just like being chipped away at other players. Right, like like guys who like bench players, you know, bench yeah, players become inherently less valuable with the presence of a DH. That's yeah. it's not, it's not really more or less labor friendly either way. 
yeah, that, that, that's just a non-starter as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But yeah, I think my, my actual main hard DH stance is my strong belief that the All-Star game every year should involve two completely separate units where you have, like, the best hitters and the best fielders. And if somebody's the best of both, they can do both. But just, like, like why can't we have Andrelson Simmons playing at shortstop in the All-Star game just because he's not, like, a good enough hitter to start over Francisco Lindor? Like, why not just incorporate everybody? But they don't... Um. I also thought that having the All-Star game decide home field advantage in the World Series was stupid, but no one listened to me on that for years either. So, God, that was such a bad idea. Just Why did anyone ever think that was a good idea? Which is like, that was a kind of solution that I would associate more with like NASCAR, where like a, <laughs> like a thing would happen one time that would annoy people, and they would just overhaul like the entire system in a way that would yeah. be very stupid. Well, it was such a non-problem too, because like if you, I was, I was just thinking about this today. It's sort of timely we discussed this because the NBA um, released like a bunch of format changes to their All Star game, and I could not parse what they actually meant. Yeah, that, and everyone was, was just, was very everyone was just very confused by what it is, and it seemed unnecessary. I, th- I can't remember who said it. Someone, I, I think it might have been um, uh, David Roth on Twitter was saying like how they're missing the mark is by assuming that people watch like the NBA all-star game, wanting it to be like a competitive affair. Like people don't care. That's not what they watch. I think that's the entire appeal of the NBA all-star game is that right. nobody cares. Yeah. Of, of the big four all-star games, the the MLB I think has always been the best. NBA would be second. NBA probably, they are, I would say arguably have the best all-star week. Oh, Cause yeah, you get like sure. the, the three point contest, the dunk contest. MLB is still pretty close. Like the game is good. And then you have the home run derby, home run derby which yeah. Like, um, I mean, the Pro Bowl is just horrible. The Pro Pro Bowl stinks. All the other stuff leading up to it stinks. NHL, the game stinks, but some of the like skills competition is, is kind of neat. Um, yeah, and the NFL, yeah, NFL seems like nobody wants to be there. They did they they're not even doing it in Hawaii anymore, are they? Or did yeah, they, they go had, back? They had it in Orlando this year. Like yeah, like like at least like that... if if you're gonna make the players do that, at least let them go to Hawaii for Christ's sake. Um, so, but it was such a non-problem. Like why the MLB already had the best, like actual all-star game of the big four. Like it, the MLB format works well for the all-star game. Cause like half-assing it, like they don't really need to, to go out and, and half-ass it. Like they can still play hard and it's not like, you know, MLB is a sport where there's not a huge like injury risk being on the field. So guys would actually go out there and, and compete and you get like the cool one-on-one matchups of pitcher versus hitter that you want to see. Um, they didn't need to change that at all. It's just mind blowing that that was ever an idea that was taken seriously, and yet yeah. it, it, you know, affected home field advantage in the World Series for how many years? At least ten, right? Yeah, I think it was twelve or thirteen, but that's why the MLB and the NBA All Star Game are the two best All Star games in some order for kind of opposite reasons the MLB works out the best because it's the one where like players can try the hardest without like being irrational and like risking themselves yes and the NBA works the best because it's, the sport, <coughs> it's a sport where people not trying makes the least aesthetic impact like yeah like football's unwatchable if guys are going at half speed hockey if guys are going at half speed it's more watchable than the football but it's still not great and NBA yeah. Like, if it's going half speed and guys aren't playing defense, you at least can see some cool dunks and, like... Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they, stuff. 
yeah, they cut loose, you know, that's the kind of fun part of it. Um, I don't know. Very strange. Um, and it, it just seems like kind of the kind of the big takeaway we can take from all of those different things we just discussed is that. And I guess this shouldn't be shocking is that these big corporations um, seem to both be missing the mark on what exactly they need to do to ensure the future of their sport and uh, uh, how they go about achieving those ends. Um, that's what I take away from all of it. Yeah. And I actually kind of, you know, circle back to the DH. Like, I actually don't think they're going to make a change. I think that when it comes down to it, the, the league's going to realize that having or not having a DH isn't going to make a sizable impact. So they're just going to go with whatever is short-term the most popular, which is seemingly the status quo. Yeah. People don't like the status quo in terms of people either want the DH to come to the NL or they want it stripped from the AL. But mm-hmm. in the end... The current system allows the majority of fans, a clear majority of fans, to get their preferred style with their yeah. team. Yeah. Now, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just say there are a couple more things before we wrap up because I think we we'd sought out to make this like a, a responsible, like probably for the first time ever, a responsibly long. Um, episode and we are at that point right now um where we're still like within responsible length for a podcast episode but um one other thing i wanted to mention kind of in the same conversation did you see that in uh spring training this year they're going to do some testing out um uh the uh the robot umps for balls and strikes i did see that um i'm all for it sounds good to me uh the one sizable like change it would make, I guess, to baseball would be that besides obviously the the presence of them, but like suddenly pitch framing come, becomes less of a thing in terms of yeah. like, roster construction. But right, it's kind of weird because like a few years ago this would have really hurt the Cardinals because Yadier Molina was one of the best pitch framers in the sport. But at this point, yeah. he has like besides the fact that he's you know nearing the end of his playing career in all likelihood, he doesn't seem to be as good at the framing part. We'll see what it looks like. I don't know. I, aesthetics matter a lot. Um, I actually never saw this as a huge enough problem that they needed to make a big change. I was never one that called for robot umps. Yeah, like human. That's not my problem. With, I have problems with umpires. That is not my problem with umpires, that they screw up the calls. Um, because, I mean, theoretically, it, it affects everyone the same way or it can affect everyone the same way on a given night. Um, a missed ball strike call never it it never i mean it would like bother me but it never filled me with the kind of outrage that led me to believe they should they should institute some sort of massive change that said i don't know if i'll care that much i always thought we'll see how they actually implement i always thought instead of um like i don't know what the what the machine i guess is going to look like that will calculate balls and strikes and how it will work i always thought like maybe having like the home plate umpire, like hold something and then they can be there to like, like make calls at home plate and whatever other calls they need to make, like call a balk or whatever else. Um, so I don't know, we'll just see what it looks like. It's just testing out in spring training. That's fine. Um, if it's stupid, then just don't implement it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm never okay with them testing pretty much anything in spring training. Cause I just don't care about yeah, who cares games. That's the time to do that. You know, it's, it's odd to me whenever like, 
um, whenever like the big sports leagues want to test something during the playoffs. That's like the worst idea in the world. Um, do it in like these exhibition games where guys are just going out there and getting tuned up anyway. Who cares? Um, so we'll see what it looks like. I, I was never really in favor of it, but like it's one of those where I'm perfectly willing to be convinced otherwise. So it could work out. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. We should get um, – as I mentioned, we've talked about doing like fan files episodes sometimes. My choice for a Royals fan would be my friend Steve. Steve also, he's an extremely like level-headed, even-keel guy, but he loathes um, instant replay like more than anyone I've ever met. So if we do have him on, um, just uh, we'll just have to remember to to get him going about his thoughts on instant replay. Because, man, does that set him off, especially in baseball. I envy people who hate instant replay because I feel like in order to hate instant replay, you have to not care that much about who wins games. Yeah. I, I want to be in that mindset. I want to not ca- – I, I want to, like, be so at peace with the world that the Cardinals losing a game on a blown call is worth it to me in order to have, like, an extra, like, five minutes of leisure time or whatever yeah. the replay would fix. Yeah. Someday. Isn't that another? Isn't that also a Dan Moore thing? Doesn't he that also is. hate replay? Yeah, he does. Yeah, it's very on brand for Dan. I think he. We just need to have him on here sometime and just pick his brain. Um, uh, I agree. So, all right. Did you have anything else? Uh, no, not really. As we said, there's not. There's just not much going on right now um, in baseball. So this mm-hmm. is what you get instead. Yeah, and other than Puig, pretty much every conceivable free agent is signed and yeah unless one of these major players gets traded which there's constantly like very basic level rumors going around like there were mookie bets to the padres rumors going on there were the the rumor today was that they're talking with the dodgers about mookie bets yeah i heard that one as well though and wouldn't that just figure the vaguely rumored nolan arenado for chris bryant rumors which don't doesn't really make sense for either team no it really doesn't like, why would the Rockies do that? They no, no. They're rebuilding. What good does Brian do? Okay, whatever. No, yeah. Let's, let's avoid know. that can of worms. But uh, so, uh, Turk, thank you, of course, for uh, for joining me on the podcast. Where can people find you, and where can people uh, find your work? Uh, Turpin for Prez on Twitter. Um, I have uh, written some things for STL Bullpen in the past, of course. So. Uh, I guess just Google Alex Turpin um, with STL Bullpen and you can find some things. I'll I'll presumably get back to writing something eventually. Um, I was thinking I was thinking this week about uh, finally finally pulling the trigger and doing that uh, article on the uh, one armed Gritchett game that I've been planning for so long, um, and also possibly um, maybe like a revisit of the Large Adult Sons article could be good. Um, that's mainly it. My uh, my uh, wonderful mom has a wonderful cooking blog also. Check that out, thekitchenwench.com. And I did want to drop one more. I referenced earlier um, – I sort of vaguely referenced our friend Gabe having written an article about Yasiel Puig. I, so that was on Viva Alberto's um, if you want to read his thoughts about that. So where can uh, people find you, John? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JohnJF125. You can find uh, my writing on STLBullpen.com. Uh, follow STLBullpen on Twitter at STLBullpen, Facebook.com slash STLBullpen. 
had a few articles go up in the last couple of weeks that are of wildly different topics, but it's all there. You can check it out and mm-hmm. what's going on. And yeah, that's pretty much all I got. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll reconvene at another time. And I mean, let's be honest, we could probably reconvene in a month and they probably won't be <laughs> much different going on in baseball. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll just, we haven't done this yet where we've come up with like the stupidest bit we can possibly imagine and just seeing, trying to roll with that. Maybe we'll give that a shot. I, I am going to ask, so if by chance the Padres do end up acquiring Mookie Betts, that's when we do the Padres episode, right? Like, yes. That's when the yeah. of the line, and that's when we... The Padres episode, which I think has been mentioned in every single episode so far, um, if not every one, then, then very close to it. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's gonna man, it's gonna be a banger when this thing finally happens. It's basically the equivalent of like Alfred Hitchcock walking past the screen and all. <laughs> just, it's just like a little uh, little nugget in there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's gonna feel bad whenever it's over because then what are we gonna talk about and anticipate? I guess more large adult sons articles. Yeah, I guess. Um, one of actually what what led me to think of that one of the guys. Um, that I mentioned in that article, uh, Mitchell Osnowitz, his, I think dad started following me on Twitter. That's a mistake. Well, I, I think maybe what had happened, I think maybe I I'd seen this, I'd seen a couple of Osnowitz names pop up. So maybe like I, I'd, I'd noticed this whenever the, the Trey Fletcher article had like way more views than it, it feasibly should have. I found out like his parents shared it on Facebook I think maybe like one of Mitchell Osnowitz's family members um, like Googled their kid's name and found this article, this very silly article. And they just sort of kind of started following the STL bullpen content. um, And like I got tagged in something. So, um, yeah, he may have unfollowed by now already. Um, It's a mistake for anyone to follow me, to be clear. But um, presumably if you're from like a normal, well-adjusted family like the Osnowitzes. It doesn't speak to you super well to follow. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, uh, like a thank you for uh, joining me. Thank you to all for listening. And thank you to those of us who will put up with whatever uh, sort of episode padding we have to do in the next couple of weeks because nothing's going to happen in baseball. So, You're the real heroes. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>